Ephesians 4 starts off the whole chapter, which, like I said, I think last week or the week before, this is the chapter uh, that really kind of nails down what the church is all about and uh, enforces that desire, that vision that God has to equip the saints for the works of the ministry and to send them out. But it starts out that whole chapter as a prisoner of the Lord. Paul wrote this while he was in prison. He said, I urge you to live a life worthy. Now, if you haven't been here very long and you haven't heard us say this, you will probably hear my wife or myself or somebody say that phrase, live a life worthy of the calling, probably a million times before you die. Okay, because that is, that is, that's our vision. And we're quoting Paul. We're quoting Ephesians 4. He urges the saints at the church of Ephesus to live a life worthy of the calling that they have received. He goes on to say, be completely humble. He gives some, some, um, some pointers. <laughs> be completely humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Uh, bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So that's one time, he says, to live a life worthy. Again, he's attending to, to what God revealed. He writes to the church of Thessalonica in the Thessalonians, and he says, we pleaded with you, encouraged you, and then he uses this word again, urged you, which is kind of the same thing as like, man, I beg you, there's nothing more important than, and he goes on to say, to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. So he says the same thing in another way. He goes on to say, for he called you into his kingdom to share his glory. Not the majesty of his glory, but to share in who he is, to be most blessed. People who do not know the Lord, they don't share in his glory. They're not most blessed. They're barely blessed. You guys hear what I'm saying? We, we stand apart, even like the song Sean sang tonight. We, we are set apart from the world. There's something that we get to be a part of and experience because of what Christ has done for us. And so we are most blessed. When he writes to the church in Colossae, to the Colossians, he says, and this is Colossians 1, and I'm going to read a little bit more of this. He says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Okay, there it is again. And he goes on to say, And please him in every way. Again, some pointers. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all the power according to his glory and glorious might. So that you might have a great endurance and patience and, this is kind of a run-on sentence, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of, of, the, of the kingdom of light. So he says a lot there, lots of pointers, but please hear that he said again to live a life worthy of the call that you received in Christ Jesus. And then Philippians 1, Philippians is probably my favorite letter that he wrote. Philippians 1 he says it like this. He doesn't say it quite the same, not at, you know, living a life, but it's, it means the same thing. And I want you to hear it. This is going to transition to what we're talking about today. He says, I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Okay, so he says it a little differently, but it's the same thing, that you may live, and of course, pure and blameless is what Jesus was. That's how he lived. He was, he was um, a pure, this pure and spotless lamb that was slain for the, for the uh, forgiveness of sins. Amen? So when he says that you may live pure and blameless lives, that's another way of saying live like Jesus until Jesus returns. By the way, he's returning for a pure and spotless bride. Amen? 
But I want you to notice something he says right here. He says, I want you to understand what really matters. Now, I was actually looking at this scripture and meditating on it for the live pure and blameless part. But as I kept reading it and chewing on it and meditating on it, this all of a sudden stuck out to me. And it says that you may understand what really matters. If you want to live the life of Jesus Christ, I'll be honest with you. I don't have all the answers. I I sit up here as though I'm some sort of expert. It just so happens that I get to preach and I get to fulfill this role, but I'm by by means no expert. I don't have all. It's like Paul said, not that I've already obtained all this, but I do press on to win the prize. I press on towards the goal, the upward calling to live the life of Jesus Christ. I'm not an expert. Please understand that. Okay? But I can say this, living the life of Jesus Christ, and this is what the Lord showed me this week, means to understand what really matters. What really matters. To understand what really matters. And then he goes on to say, so that you may live. In other words, you may live a pure and holy life. You may live like Jesus when you understand what really matters. And I thought about that. What what does really matter? And the first thing that came to my mind. Sometimes when I think about this, a story in the Bible will pop into my head. And you guys are probably mostly familiar with the story of Jesus meeting the uh, Samaritan woman at the well. And this is that famous place where he talks about worshiping in spirit and truth. But if you know the story, he comes up to the lady. He's, He's been walking and she comes up to get a drink from the well. And he says, could you give me a drink? And she's like, uh, I don't think we should be even talking, much less giving you a drink, because she was a foreigner. She was a Samaritan. Jewish people and Samaritan, they didn't mix. They don't talk, especially a man and a woman. You go, it, just, it was just all kinds of inappropriate in that culture. And she says, I don't think we should be talking, much less me give you a drink of water. And Jesus said, woman, if you knew who it was that was talking to you and asking you for a drink of water, you would have asked him for a living water, a drink, and he would have given you living water. And that difference between Water and living water just jumped off the page. Because water matters, doesn't it? Doesn't it matter? I mean, come on. You've got a lot, a lot of medical people in here. What happens if you don't drink water for a few days? You don't drink water for one day, you're going to get a headache. Drink it for a few days, you're going to die. You're going to pass out. You know what I mean? How many of you heard that story about the, the people that they murdered their child by um, refusing him water for, I think it was four days? Did you guys hear about that? It's awful. Lord, help us. Help them. Help us help them. For real. Did you guys hear about that? You need water. I mean, it's, it's just something that we need. But Jesus said, woman, if you knew who it was that asked you, you'd be asking him for water, and he'd give you something way more important. And I thought about how that is a picture of what really matters. He actually says to her, if you knew the gift of God. We're talking about water, but let me t- tell you about the gift of of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, what he was saying is that if we really understood what God has made available to us, if we really understood what really matters, we would pursue that more than anything else. What really matters? Do we need water? Yes, we need water. Without it, we're going to die. And yet there is something way more important than being physically alive. I, I know that's hard to believe because the, the, the survival, their survival instinct is huge in our lives. But there is something more important than being physically alive, and that is being spiritually alive. And in essence, that's what we're saying. To live the life of Jesus Christ is to be spiritually 
alive, possessing living water. Not just water. I need water. And I think that's what I love about, about this analogy is Jesus, Jesus says, you don't have to stop living your own life. You need water, man. You need to go to work. You got to pay the bills. You know what I mean? You can't just trample all over town all week trying to minister to people. You got to spend eight hours at work, nine hours, 10 hours, 12 hours, whatever you deal. I love that. He's saying, this is important. This is important. But listen, in the midst of that, just live the way Jesus did. I'm not telling you not to live your life. I'm just saying you live your life the way Jesus did. You guys see that? Living the life of Jesus Christ, living the way that he did. John said in 1 John 2, 6, and this was a disciple that was really close to Jesus. He said, those who say they live in God or for God should live their lives as Jesus did. This, uh, this evening before um, worship was over, Marvin asked, or during whatever, he said, how many of you love Jesus? Like, you guys, y'all's hands shot up like somebody just offered you $100. How many of you want $100? I don't want, you know. Y'all's hands shot up. So in that moment, you basically answered the question that John was asking. Those who say they live in God, do you live in God? Oh, man, I do. Then... You should live your life as Jesus did. It doesn't mean shave your head and go hum in a closet until you die. It doesn't mean that. Thank God. It doesn't mean you can't have water. He's just saying, in the midst of that, make sure that you are pursuing, aware of what really matters, and that it's living water. Now listen, um, talking about living the life of Jesus Christ, our shared values or how we express what we feel. I mean, just, just seven, seven shared values that we use to express basically what we feel it means to live a life of Jesus Christ. Okay? When you look at them, they're all, to live a life of Jesus Christ means you're an authentic worshiper. It means that you let trans, uh, truth transform you. It means that you have relationships that go deeper than just surface levels. You have permeating relationships. That you intentionally are involved in discipleship. That you're a selfless giver. That just doesn't mean money. It means in every aspect of your life. That you are someone that um, is a, a living missionary. Living, breathing, walking min, uh, missionary. You know, that you, everything that your hand finds to do, you do it as unto the Lord with excellent ministry. All of those things. Okay? And we're going to be talking about those this fall. I'm going to be sharing Nick, Sean, uh, Marvin, Melissa. In fact, she was supposed to speak tonight, but she's not. I mean, she was thrown up when I left the house. So please pray for her. Um, but those are the way that we, we express what we think a life of Jesus Christ looks like. And I have to tell you, I, I thought about this because I was going to kind of jump into some of that. But I thought, gosh, you know what? We teach that stuff all the time. Everything we teach, whether it's from this stage or in front of this stage... Or if it's in one of our life groups or anywhere, a Bible study that we do. When we teach, we are teaching to promote one of those shared values. We may not be thinking, oh, I wonder if this... But it always does because of how um, prevailing it is in our hearts and our lives and our desire to minister to you. So I don't feel like I have to cover that kind of stuff. For one, we're going to be covering it for seven hard weeks. And two, I feel like we talk about it all the time. So what I want to do is I want to look at... Um, I want to look at what it is that keeps us from living the life of Jesus Christ. Because that, that's kind of the big joke. I don't know if you guys knew that. But the big joke in the world is that Christians aren't Christians. Like People don't like Christians because they're hypocrites. They don't, that, that's the big joke. You say you're Christians, but you don't look any different from the world. I, I don't like being made fun of. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> Do you? How many of you guys have bloodied quite a few noses in your life when you were made fun of? Am I the only one? I don't like it. 
When someone says that about my church, my life, my God, I want to just smack them. And of course I can't because then I wouldn't be living the life of Jesus Christ. It's like a catch-22. But I want you to think about this. I, I would imagine if the decision to live the life of Jesus Christ was as simple as taking the red pill or the blue pill, like in The Matrix. You guys remember that movie? Do you want the red pill or the blue pill? You know what I mean? The red pill being, I'll take this pill and the life I will lead is somewhat of a lukewarm life where I waver in my faith back and forth. I sin, I don't sin. I ask forgiveness, but I don't, I don't change. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's the red pill. We'll say that's the red pill. If we had the choice between that pill and the blue pill that says, as soon as I take this pill, I know that I will never sin again, that my life will look just like Christ. I will be a sold-out believer instead of a, <laughs> instead of a lukewarm believer. And I will live the life. I will be wholehearted instead of half-hearted in my faith. If I could take that blue pill or the red pill, I would imagine that most of us, like we would choose the blue pill. I mean, am I wrong? If it could be just like that, oh, boom, we're done. How many of you would take that blue pill? Raise your hand. Like how many of you would actually choose the red pill over the blue pill? Nobody, it's stupid. I think that really is this probably a desire that God even put in us to want that. But it's not that easy. It's not that easy. And in fact, that's why Jesus himself said if anyone would come after me, he's got to deny himself and he's got to take up his cross daily. It's a daily decision, a daily struggle, a daily pursuit. A day, it's not a red and blue pill. It is a daily dose, I guess you could say. You hear what I'm saying? But I do think that is a desire of our heart is to live like that. What keeps us, though, from living the life that Jesus lived? And, uh, you know, when you, when you read on in John 4, you see the woman, the Samaritan woman. You see that she has a concept of God. You guys know what I'm talking about? Remember, she said, oh, I, I can see that you're a prophet because he called out her sin. I can see that you're a prophet. You know, our father said that we should worship on this mountain, but your father said we should worship on this mountain. So she had this concept of God. But listen, we need more than a concept of God. You guys know what a concept is, right? A concept is like this abstract idea. It's this general notion of something. You worship on this mountain. Some say we should worship. Jesus is like, woman, listen, God is spirit. Let's get rid of the notions. Let's get rid of the concept and let's give you something concrete. God is spirit. Those who want to worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I'll be honest with you, I get concerned that there are a lot of people who have a concept of God in the church, but there's not many who have um, uh, certainties. You know, we, we, people that have these philosophical generalities, these abstract ideas of God, and they talk circles around all kinds of stuff. But where are the people who have theological certainties? I know this to be true about God. And I'm not saying those divisive, um, argumentative things, but I'm saying those things that, that put us right smack in the middle of being Christians. Jesus was the Son of God. He was both God and man. He was born of a virgin. He lived a pure, spotless life. He died a gruesome death. He did rise again, by the way. Otherwise, what is our faith, right? That's what Paul said. All those things, concrete things. And I get concerned that we don't have, have any of that. And this, this is what I want to look at in Zechariah. So go ahead and turn there. There's a few things that I, I saw when I was reading this a few weeks ago in Zechariah that I thought, you know what? This is us. And these are some things that we don't think about very often. 
Turn to Zechariah chapter 3. You should already be there. And it, says, it starts out, and if you don't know the, the backstory on this, this is, um, you know, God is, is restoring his people after a long time of, of having to have disciplined them. He's bringing them back. He's restoring them. He's um, establishing worship in their, in their lives again. He's going to be rebuilding the temple. All of these things. This is a time of restoration, a, a history where God was restoring his people. And so there's all kinds of things going on. I've taught a few things over the past few weeks in that. But look at chapter 3. And this is really huge. It says, Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, Let, him, uh, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua... And says, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways, that's another way of saying, if you will live the life of my son who is going to be coming here shortly. <laughs> if you will live the life of Jesus Christ and if you will perform my services, in other words, give your heart to me, your life to me and serve me, then you will also govern my house and have charge of my courts. And I will grant you free access from among those who are standing here. Now listen. This talks, it starts out with saying that, that Joshua was the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. A lot of times in the Old Testament, when, when you see um, something about the high priest, it's going to be a type or a shadow of a, or a pointing ahead to Jesus Christ. Because Hebrews 2 and then in chapter 4, it talks about how Jesus is our high priest. You guys know what I'm talking about? He went in once and for all to the Holy of Holies and made a way for us to have access to, um, to the free grace and mercy and um, and. and to be our help, to get our help from him. Okay, so that's what he has done. And, but, and so a lot of times when we see that, it's, it's a kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus. But this isn't what this is right here. Okay, this is actually a foreshadowing of us. Not because we're a high priest, we're not high priest. But look what it says, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. In other words, this is a picture of a servant of God standing before God, ministering to the Lord, worshiping, serving him. And so it's a picture of that. And then look what it says, while this is happening... While the servant of the Lord is standing before the Lord worshiping, it says that Satan was standing at the right hand, at his right hand. In other words, if I'm standing before the Lord, and I'm, you know, whatever, that means that Satan is standing right here, probably postured like this. And it says, standing there accusing Joshua. Okay, there's a couple things, and there's these declarations I want to give tonight. But I want to show you something. First of all, this thing of the high priest, something that you need to know that is true, a concrete thing that you can stand on that will help you live the life of Jesus Christ is to understand, have a concrete, not a generalization, but a concrete understanding that you have access to the presence of God through the work of the cross. Okay? That's just, you got to know that. If you don't understand that you can come before God any time that you want to and praise Him, worship Him, make your request uh, known, then you're not going to come. If you don't realize that, if, you, if you're, well, you know, they say that you can just worship freely. Man, what does that mean? No, listen, the work of the cross provided you 
free instant access to the throne of grace where you will receive mercy and help in time of need. That's what Scripture says, Hebrews 2 and 4. I want you to say that with me. It should be up on the screen. I want us to say aloud this declaration, and it's something you can declare to yourself this week. Is that up there? Ready? I have access to the... Whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys, y'all act like you just woke up. No, listen. This is a declaration. Okay? I have access to the presence of God because of the work of the cross. It says, Jesus became a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to open the way for us to come into God's presence and receive mercy and grace and help in our time of need. Okay, that's one thing. I think we talk about that a lot, so I'm not going to stay there too long. But look at the next thing. It says that's where Joshua was. Joshua was. He was in the presence of the Lord. He was standing there. But there was someone standing there, an enemy accusing him, accusing him, accusing him. And so another truth that you got to know, something concrete that you got to understand, because if you don't, you're going to be tossed to and fro. And that is that you have an enemy who accuses you of being unworthy to come to God. You realize that? Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt the accuser at your side telling you how unworthy you are? Raise your hand. How many times have we stood in here or you're at home trying to have a quiet time and connect with God, but you just feel like junk? A concrete reality, a theological certainty for you to understand and know is that there is an accuser who has planted himself right at your side, staring you in the face, shouting accusations at you for all to hear. So I want us to declare this right now. This is, this is not giving credit to the enemy, but just making it known that you have an awareness that you have an enemy. Ready? I have an enemy who accuses me of being unworthy to come to God. In Revelation 12, verse 10, it talks about how um, the accuser of the brethren accuses the brethren, us, the believers, and it says day and night. In other words, he doesn't stop. And it may not be him personally, but he's got his minions, his little demonic presence in our life, trying to bring us down and keep us out of the presence of God. Listen, when you feel like you're not worthy to be there, you won't go there. Is that true or not? So that's something that we need to begin declaring. If I'm going to live the life of Jesus Christ, I better understand there's an enemy who doesn't want me to. Amen? Somebody's got to give me a hanky because this is good. Y'all start bringing your hankies. I prefer white. The third thing is, let's look what it says. I, I love this response. I love, love, love what the angel of the Lord said. Actually, the Lord says. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. By the way, Jesus is the one that has the authority to rebuke Satan. If you get all cocky, I rebuke you, boy. I bow up to you. I will. You better watch out. You remember whenever the disciples came to him and uh, the, the demonic man and said, um, we cast you out and you cast you out. Well, I know Paul. I don't know Peter. I don't know who you are. And it kicked his tail. You guys remember that? So I think it's safe to say if you're going to address the enemy, you better do it in the name of Jesus and under his authority. The Lord rebuke you. Amen. When you feel that you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you turn because that's where it says he's going to be. You turn. <laughs> Even though you probably won't be able to see him if you do hunker down, you know, the Lord rebuke you, okay? (laughs) But look what he says. Sorry, I got distracted. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. So there's the authority. I want you to say this. 
I have, well, I'll tell you first. I have an advocate who is qualified to stand in my defense. I have an advocate, someone like a lawyer. I have a counselor. I have an advocate who is worthy, who is qualified. 1 John 2, remember it says, My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. Don't do that. But if you do, it's all good because we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He is the advocate for us. And he advocates according to his authority and his qualification. What qualifies him? The blood that he shed. Amen? Are y'all with me or am I too far, too deep, too long? When we keep going, we can stop there and do the rest next week. Should we keep going? Okay. So I want you to say this together with me. I have an advocate who is qualified to stand in my defense. Talk about something that will help you live the life of Jesus Christ. Am I wrong? I didn't even write it. It's right, all I had to do was find it. It's right there. Look what he says next, though. This is awesome. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Okay, God got all poetic on me. I don't know what he's talking about. He didn't get poetic. Think about what a brand plucked from the fire. It's like saying a, 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 um, a smoldering coal plucked from the fire. If something's in the fire, which we were before we knew Christ, weren't we? We were burning in our transgressions, dead in our sins, dying in our transgressions, right? We were like in the fire. On our way to hell, we were burnt up. We were a brand. How does he say it? We were a brand in the fire. But he says, is this not... You're accusing Joshua, but is Joshua not a brand plucked from the fire? And what he's saying right there is like, don't you think I know the condition of this thing that I brought out of the fire? Don't you think I know this thing would be charred up? Don't you think I know that this thing has been in the fire a while and it's going to be black and old, uh, ashy and smoldery and, and dirty? Don't you think I would know that enemy? I'm not stupid. You guys hear what I'm saying? That's a cool thing to know. In fact, I wrote it this way. I have a friend who will accept me when I'm unfit to be loved. Paul said it this way. God demonstrates his own love for me in this. While I was still a sinner smoldering coal, a brand, he, Christ died for me. God's like, you can accuse him all you want. I, already, I know what you're saying about him. Because remember what he said? He said, um, he talked about his um, iniquity and clothing him with festival robes because he, he had filthy garments on. By the way, that filthy garments in that language is the most descriptive word you could use for vile and un, um, unworthy. It's like a really harsh word. It would be like using the F word or something in our culture. You know what I mean? It was a really tough word to use. This is where he is. Don't you think I know the condition this guy's in? I love what Spurgeon says. I read this. It says, Christ accept him, accepts him as he is, and he shuts the devil's mouth by telling him, you say this man is black? Of course he is. What did I think he was but that? He is a brand plucked out of the fire. I plucked him out of it. He was burning when he was in it. He is black now that he is out. He was what I knew he would be. But he's not what I mean to make him. Did you catch that last part? I know what he was. That's exactly what he is. But he's not yet what I will make him. Which leads me to my next thing. 
You know, Philippians 1-6, I said it was my favorite chapter, kind of my life verse that I just, I need to <laughs> quote probably 10 times a day. Being confident of this, of this, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. You can stand on that. That is a theological, concrete piece of work that you need. Because how many of you felt like God's given up on you? How many of you struggle with lying? Because <laughs> you're lying right now. You can't tell me that. Those, those tough times, you don't have that despairing thought, especially if you've got the enemy accusing you. Yeah, he gave up on you. You weren't worthy to begin with. You were a brand plucked out of the fire. Dark, black, you still look like you used to. And there's that thing that says, oh, gosh. But here's the truth. He who began a good work in us, who, who plucked us out of the fire, has every intention of making that brand new. Brand new. That was kind of cool. <laughs> Did you catch that? That was good preaching. I wrote it like this. I have a mentor who can see what one day I will become. Isn't Jesus our leader? Isn't he our teacher? He's our mentor. He's the one discipling us. We're following his lead. I have a mentor who can see what one day I will become. Can we say that together? I have a mentor who can see what one day I will become. By the way, that's his vision for our life. That vision is transferable. You need to be a mentor who can see someone that's just simply a brand plucked out of the fire. But see what they can become and invest in them because that's what Jesus did for us. I mean, look at what he says. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. In other words, the devil had every right to say that because he truly was. He was filthy. He was brand. He was nasty. But this is what I love. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove those filthy garments. By the way, he can say that. He can do that. And again said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from me. From you. Last week we talked about iniquity are just those things that we carry that were sown into us all those years that we were not in Christ. And the fruit in our life sometimes, especially if we're, we're in the bond of iniquity, like Peter told Simon the Sorcerer last week, if you're in the bondage of iniquity, then those, the fruit in your life is just gross. Iniquities are things that are left over from the life you used to live. That's what he's saying here. I will remove that black, charred, coal look from you. I will take your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with festal robes. In other words, you're going to look fine. That's what we used to see in the, say in the 80s. That girl looks fine. Tony looks fine with that mullet. Okay, anyway. See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, let them put a clean turban on him in his head. By the way, that's something that the high priest would wear, a turban. And you know what was written on the right, right on the front of that turban? Holiness to the Lord. It was a declaration that they wore on their head. Holiness to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. So when he says put that turban on their head, right there is like this is, and holiness, to be holy means to be set apart. So that he's saying, um, put that turban on his head because I am setting him apart. I'm taking him and I'm doing something brand new. I'm setting him apart. And what I'm doing, holiness obviously talks about purity and being blameless too. So I'm setting him apart and I'm making him holy. What you're accusing him of being, of being he no longer is. It was true. Don't you think I knew that? But look what I'm doing. You guys see what I'm saying? I said it this way. I have, <laughs> I have a tailor who has fit me for the courtroom of the king. Can we say that together? I have a tailor who has fit me for the courtroom of the king. 
If that's where I want to be and he wants me to be there, he will provide me with the robes that I need to wear. Amen? Isn't that good? Isaiah 61, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me or displayed me, made me beautiful in the robe of righteousness. Again, filthy was the strongest expression in the Hebrew language of uh, the most vile and loathsome characteristics of a person. And yet look what Jesus did. Fit him for the court. Isn't that good? Look at what he goes on to say. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with the garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And then the angel of the Lord turned to Joshua. It says he admonished him, talked to him directly. All this was going on. The court was adjourned. God, Joshua, the accuser. Did you notice Joshua didn't have to say one thing? Christ was his stronghold and his defense. You guys hear what I'm saying? Did you notice it? You notice nowhere did it say yet Joshua was like, Yeah, you tell him, God. You go, God. You know? Didn't say a word. But he did have, um, he was addressed. It says, The Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will perform my service, then you will also govern my house. In other words, you will have authority as a minister in the presence of the Lord. Listen, what a great way of saying you will live a life of Jesus Christ. You will have authority in my presence. Isn't that good? That's what most believers aren't carrying around, is authority. Authority to what? To win people to the Lord, to cast out demons, to heal people, whatever it is that you're theolog- you focus on theologically. All of it applies. The authority to stop sinning that way. The authority to, um, to whatever. Then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my courts. And I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. In other words, um, when you understand all these things, and, and I, we'll just say this real quick. No, we'll end it with it. When you understand all these things, all these things work together. In fact, there's somewhat of a uh, um, progression. Did you notice that? Did you see that? It starts with me, the accuser. I'm being advocated for. I'm being changed. Uh, and now I have a responsibility. How many of you love Jesus? Then we have a responsibility. And that responsibility is live the life that he just went to fight, went to battle for me. He went to bat. Jesus went to bat for you. I know that's what he is, but this is what he's going to become. And so the last thing I want to say is we are servants whose one desire is to welcome God with praise. And that's the lyric in the song. In fact, I'm going to have Sean and the team come up. And I just want to end with this song. We'll just sing it through one time just as a way to express the Lord. And, and we're right, right at the time to go. But would it be okay if we just worshiped um, one time out of here and just worship in spirit and truth? These truths that we're saying. Maybe you wrote these things down. And maybe as we sing this last song, we can declare these things. David said in the Psalms, The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek the most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. That is a, 
that is a foreshadowing of, what, of being in the presence of the Lord, walking um, in the shoes Jesus walked in. And it says, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in His temple. So would you stand up with me and let's say this last thing together. I am a servant whose one desire is to welcome God with praise. Let's say it again. I am a servant whose one desire is to welcome God with praise. How many of you feel like you're, you were challenged in your spirit tonight? It's, it's always a choice on how, what we walk out with. But my encouragement is that we go home, and these are just simple little phrases, and you can look, them, look at them up against Zechariah 3 and, and say those things, you guys. We can't take a blue pill, but the next best thing is to make the choice of who we're going to serve and every day fight for that and declare the truth. Not conceptual things. You know, I think this mountain, I think, you know, I think we, if you, not stupid debates, but what we know is true. Okay, so close your eyes. I'm going to read these declarations over you. And Sean's going to just, just minister to us in song. And you're welcome to join in. Or you may have words that you want to say on your own to the Lord. Just close your eyes. Let the music wash over you like, like living water. Scripture says that we have access to the presence of God because of the work of the cross. Scripture says that we do have an enemy who accuses us of being unworthy to come to God. But Scripture also says we have an advocate who is qualified to stand in our defense. And we have a friend who will accept us even when we're unfit to be loved. While we're still sinning, when we're still far away, he brings us near by the blood of the Lamb. We have a leader, a mentor who can see what one day we will become. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. Amen? Amen? I have a tailor who has fit me for the courtroom of the king. And to declare every day this about yourself. I am a servant whose one desire is to welcome God with praise. Can we say that one together? I am a servant whose one desire is to welcome God with praise. And so God, my prayer...